Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Praise the Lord, everybody. God bless you on this Sunday morning. Let me just apologize for being slightly late there. Uh, sleep got the better of me this morning, so uh, just pray for me. Uh, I just want to uh, thank you for taking this time out to join with us here at GMFC Studios. We um, are glad that you're both here in the studio and joining with us from your various uh, places. Um, we hope and pray that you had a wonderful uh, celebration for Thanksgiving and were able to enjoy um, time with family and friends and uh, eat a lot of food and just have uh, laughter and joy and you know fellowship with one another. We thank the you know thank the Lord greatly for each and every one of you. Uh, we just want to uh, you know get into the word this morning. I want to share what God has put on my heart uh, concerning uh, these times that we are in. We are in a series of studies um, in Bible study, which I encourage you if, uh, if you want to join our Bible studies, send us a text message uh, or not a text message, but an email, and we will send you the link to our Bible study. Uh, we're talking about end times and uh, correlating scripture to current event and allowing you know questions to be asked and we're doing uh, everything we can to prepare the body for the coming of the Lord we are truly in the end times and even as we're teaching that in Bible study we are also uh, talking to you uh, about the fullness of who Jesus is and what Jesus um, has done and I want to come to you today from the um, topic, or, or you can use as a sermon title today, uh, the blood covenant. We are still in blood covenant with God. That hasn't changed. We are still in blood covenant with God. And it's, uh, it's impossible to fully comprehend God's heart for justice outside of the context of uh, a biblical covenant, uh, blood covenant. So I want to talk to you today about that and what it means and how it plays into our relationship with Christ and the return of Christ. When Abram was complaining in Genesis 15, 1 through 8 about the fact that God had promised but had not yet given him a son, the Lord came to him in verse 5 and says this, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Abram believed God and the Lord counted it unto him as righteousness. But Abram still had a non-performance issue with God. And I think many of us, um, you know, if we are to really take a true assessment of ourselves, some of us are frustrated with the current situation uh, that we're in or the things we're dealing with in life. And we have a non-performance uh, issue with God. Uh, you, you think about contracts and in many contracts in the land today, you'll find that there are uh, areas where the contract becomes null and void if either party involved does not perform in the contract the things that are expected for them to do or even the things that are expected for them not to do. 
Um, you think about this with sports stars. There are, um, you know, many sports stars that are, um, you know, vital to a team's success. They have contracts with the team, and those contracts, they have to meet certain performance objectives to get certain benefits and bonuses. And if they don't, then they don't get them. And I think that many of us, um, in a sense, have this same attitude with God um, as it relates to our expectation of the things that God is supposed to do for us. And uh, we, we have the same kind of attitude that Abram had, uh, this non-performance issue with God, because his, his problem was with the, problem, the, the promise that God had you know, promised him and the fact that after the promise, the statement of the promise, the signing of that agreement, so to speak, there was no fruition. There was no performance of, of God, which led to a lot of what we're dealing with today in the two seeds that are at war with one another, the seed of Ishmael and the seed of Isaac. But Abram asked how he could know that God would actually perform what he promised. How could he fully know what God, uh, that God would really come through with what he promised? Now, over time, the promise, you know, kind of lost its value, and Abram was asking for concrete assurance. He asked for something stronger than just words, and most of us would not have the courage to confront God with the potential unfulfillment of his word, but Abram did, and perhaps in this place, he earns uh, you know, his nickname as the father of all them that believe. You see, a covenant is a two-way street. It's a two-way agreement. And once this covenant is given, God could demand to know Abraham's commitment. God's demand to know appears in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. God demanded to know that Abram was as wholeheartedly committed as he had been. And since God was willing to sacrifice his own son, he demanded Abram to sacrifice his son. And this is true in blood covenant. We would do well to note that when we approach God demanding covenant, the day may well come when he approaches us with a parallel demand. Perhaps the condition of the church today in its failure to execute biblical justice lies in an undeveloped understanding of blood covenant with God. Perhaps we never taught a generation to fully embrace what is God's covenant and expect the same responses that Abraham got. We can't expect God's fullness if we are not willing to give God our fullness. And I want you to think for a moment about the church as a whole as you see them and think also about yourself. Are you giving God your fullness or are you only giving him bits and pieces of you? Are you not performing to the level of the agreement with God that you have made. When Abram put a demand on a covenant promise, God met him according to that covenant. Biblical justice is codified for all generations in the Abrahamic covenant. 
A biblical covenant, a biblical blood covenant has eight primary steps to um, a new beginning. The first step is one person has to be the initiator by asking for the covenant. So Abraham started the process by asking for an ironclad guarantee that God would do what God promised he would do. Abraham asks this in the 15th chapter and 8th verse of Genesis, and God responds in the 9th and the 10th verse. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram cut the animals in two because entering a blood covenant is a promise unto death for each of the individual participants in the covenant. So standing in the midst of death to complete each step signifies this. Each person would now have to vow, pointing to the dead animal, declaring, God do so to me and more if I ever break this covenant. Every blood covenant has a blood uh, uh, oath and a blessing uh, that goes along with it. Every blood covenant is said to have both blessings and curses that come along with it. The blessing offered accessibility to all the assets of the covenant partner whenever you need them. The key definition is that, is that word need. That's the definition that you have access to. It's need. And if your covenant partner called on the assets and you are refused, then you could expect to be cut in half. This is what the agreement is about. It's likened to the animals that are slaughtered. Blood covenants are a serious thing. They would become the foundation, in fact, for all biblical justice. If you turn in the Bible to the book of Jeremiah, the 34th chapter, the 18th through the 20th verse, God proclaims the fate of men who break a blood covenant. This is what it says. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the, hat, the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. You think about this scripture and how serious a blood covenant is with God, how serious God takes a blood covenant with you. God keeps his blood covenants and he expects us to do the same. Matthew 27 and 25 records the Jewish people breaking the blood covenant. It says, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. 
So the fruit of breaking blood covenant can be read in the Josephus account of what Titus and the Roman legions executed in AD 70 as they conquered Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and prophesied justice. And even as it was as serious as a heart attack as they say then, to God, it is still as serious today. And he is extremely attentive to his blood covenant now, just as he was over 2,000 years ago. The second step and primary reason for making a blood covenant is the, the reading of the, the assets, what you have access to. The doubling of your assets based on the wealth of your covenant partner. This is what the goal was in a covenant, to double what you had, to add you to your partner or your covenant partner's assets. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 3 provides an introduction to the blessing of blood covenant assets. It says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and watch this they shall not just come upon you but the scripture declares it will overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country now, verses 11 through 13 continue this lineage of blessing. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them or to carry them out. You see, when you're thinking about where you are, think about this blessing of God in the blood covenant as declared in scripture because failure to abide by the standard of a blood covenant brought verses 15 through 16 in you know, into B. This is what is being manifested because 15 and 16 tells us the opposite side of the coin. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country 
It's important that we understand this because there are many within the body of Christ that are skirting the proverbial fence, have one foot in the body and one foot out of the body and are in some ways carrying out the commands of God while in other ways enjoying the bounty of the systems of the world, which is an affront to God. Now, the blessing of a blood covenant was guaranteed access to everything that God has. Your covenant partner possesses if you had act, if you had need for it. So the primary motivation for entering blood covenant was that at the minimum, it would double your assets. So God makes a blood covenant in response to Abram's request to know. Blood covenant was the result of man asking for a guarantee that God would do exactly what he promised to do. This was God's response to the, to the question. So everything that God possesses now has become available to Abram and God gained the right to ask then for everything that Abram possessed. In Genesis 22, God asked for his son Isaac. Think about this. This is how important blood covenants are. Step number two in blood covenant was always pleasant initially as each individual learns what it is that they gain in the reading of the assets of one another. Now the real price of a covenant came when a demand was then placed upon the assets to which you have access. Are we then, the answer begs to be declared within the recesses of your soul, prepared to answer God's covenant request for your everything? If we want everything from God, then we better be ready to give everything to God. What I see in the body of Christ is we have many people who desire and beg and preach and teach the fullness of God, the blessings of God without kind of cueing you in on your part, the everything of you that goes along with your fullness, all your assets now belong to God. Let's go to step three. There are eight steps. So you can see we're moving right along here. I won't hold you long, I promise. Step three in the blood covenant is evidenced in the book of 1 Samuel, the 18th uh, chapter, the first through the fourth verse. And it says this. And it was so when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. He reserved nothing for himself. He gave everything of who he was to David. So in step three in the blood covenant process, there's always a major blessing because it involves an exchange of not just wealth, but also of weapons. And the pledge that if you found yourself in battle 
You had every right to draw upon the full ability of your blood covenant partner who was obligated then because of covenant to join you in the very war that you are engaged in. Now I want you to think about this. This is the exchange between Jonathan and David. Now remove Jonathan and, or, or remove David and put yourself in the place of David and remove Jonathan and put God in the place of, of Jonathan and see that in every conflict that you face in life, the blood covenant or the blood demand is that God will come join you in your fight. This is why the body believes that we don't fight alone. The battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. This is why we can have confidence because there is nothing greater than God. So justice then begins right here. This is the element of blood covenant that is clearly lost in the church today. As a matter of fact, if you look at scripture, you'll find that Paul warns Timothy about perilous times in the last days, that men would be covenant breakers. Now, if we break our covenant with each other, we break our covenant with God. We cannot afford to forfeit covenant protections in the last days, which is the days in which we live. We must be motivated to keep covenant with each other. One example of covenantal intervention in battle is seen in the prayer in Joshua 10, 9 through 14. Joshua, the 10th chapter, the 9th through the 14th verse says this. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them, at, uh, smote them to Azka and unto Mechadah. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and, and were uh, in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the Bible declares in the 13th verse, And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about the entirety of a day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. This is what the Bible declares. How amazing is this text? When believers, Christian nations go to war, 
they should make sure that they have not violated covenant, that they have not violated their contractual agreement with God because then God could become their enemy. By covenant, God aids in killing the enemy. But when covenant is broken, wrath upon the violator is therefore unleashed. Now, one of the primary reasons people entered into blood covenant was to ensure that they had an ally in times of war. And we're seeing this now played out in the times in which we live, where Israel is in war and they are looking to their ally, the United States of America, to be engaged in conflict with them. Now, Joshua understood that, uh, you know, he could expect this uh, covenant to be executed by God. Most believers today are really unaware of any such privilege and thus they lack the knowledge that will cause them to be successful and uh, enjoy the benefit of God standing on their side in their war. Joshua appeals to God for covenant justice and God answers his prayer. Then God honored covenant justice by killing more with hailstones than the Israelites did in battle. Now, one of God's weapons in war has been the use of weather. If you look at scripture, you'll find that weather is constantly used. Uh, natural acts are used by God. Now, to believe that man can control the weather, as some people would have you to believe, is the pinnacle of demonic deception and human arrogance. The Bible clearly teaches God controls the weather, including the warming and the cooling of the earth. To believe that man causes climate change is like spitting in the face of God. Joshua executed covenant vengeance. In Hebrew, it reads, they took covenant justice. Covenant vengeance is a manifestation of divine justice the bible declares vengeance is mine i will repay it it is the solemn declaration that god is a god of justice he functions on principles of justice and his blood covenant gives us access to that divine justice joshua not only believed it he not only accessed it but he possessed it now, the New Testament church today, in comparison, looks like wimps and weasels because there is hardly any understanding of covenant justice, nor God's willingness to stand up for the church and execute what only he alone can accomplish. The church is spending too much time trying to go along, to get along with the system of the world and the power of the enemy. When King David found himself in war, he called upon the full capabilities of his covenant partners. Today, too many believers are simply unaware of what it is that's actually available to them. Oh, we know about the wealth of the Lord, the land that belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. We tell them all these things because we're so fixated on a material gain. And we don't even have the realization that the real bounty and blessing is of coming alongside God 
that in our time of trouble, he is there on our side. We don't often see the church asking for covenant justice, let alone putting a demand, a demand upon the full capabilities of God in our behalf. This is why prayer is no longer in schools. We serve the God who not only hung the sun and the moon in the sky and created time itself, but he stopped the rotation of the planets so that justice would come to his people. He's the same God the Bible declares yesterday, today, and forever. Through biblical ignorance of blood covenant, generations of believers have forfeited moving the hand of the Lord upon their very enemies and gaining a victory that the scriptures have promised them. Surely, the generation who is charged with harvesting the nations, a restoration of covenant vengeance becomes utterly essential. You see, in preparing those who would go forth into the nations to face a persistent and determined enemy, we have an obligation to establish access to Jesus the judge. Will the demonized radical Islamists conquer the world? Or will the church move the hand of the Lord to destroy them and free multitudes under their influence, setting millions of people free to be the harvest of God? The harvest is ripe and ready. Will the church, the laborers respond? For it is the laborers that are few. When Elijah faced the prophets of Baal, he had no problem calling on his covenant partner to rain fire from heaven. When God answered, all the people said, we will serve the Lord. Elijah promptly executed the prophets of Baal. When Elisha was mocked by youth, he pronounced covenant vengeance and bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 perpetrators. Covenant vengeance has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you don't believe me, look at the Apostle Paul. He invokes a curse in the book of Corinthians, the second book of Corinthians, on all those who preached another Jesus or another gospel by elevating the turn the other cheek mentality out of context in which it was taught we have robbed the church of covenant justice the God of justice is every bit available to us by blood covenant as he has been to his people throughout scripture turning the other cheek is a powerful weapon but it does not always apply the question then is do we understand when to turn the other cheek and when to initiate covenant justice. When we learn that justice is an assignment, the next challenge then is to live in such a manner as to qualify to put a demand upon the very justice we seek. The church, and when I say the church, who is the church? We are the church. The church can no longer afford to remain ignorant of the blood covenant when godless judges and godless politicians sweep away with one decision, uh, one vote that generations of godly Americans died for. 
The time for covenant vengeance is today. It is only one declaration away. In step four of a blood covenant, you find that it earns its name by both parties shedding blood. Genesis, the 17th chapter, 9 through 11, declares, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you now I want you to think about this Abraham had to cut the animals in two as a demonstration of what the covenant would bring about and then God put a demand on him to shed blood for his covenant in his own body through circumcision. The reason why they call it a blood covenant is because each party involved sheds blood. The animals that Abraham cut into were just a sign of what God was willing to do at a future date when he himself would shed blood, his own blood for the redemption of mankind through his son Jesus who would come down to the earth to fulfill the plan of redemption shedding his blood on the cross at Calvary and that blood striking the mercy seat that we would have access again back into the fullness of God how powerful the shedding of blood has become we are so twisted in this thing of grace that we misunderstand the power of the blood covenant that we stand with God. In step number five, there was a name change that took place as if each party uh, adopted the other. And I want you to pay attention. Some people don't really understand why it is God changed the name of Abram to Abraham while this uh, execution of the blood covenant was taking place. You see, when the name change happens, you take on a measure of your covenant partner's name and they took on a part of the name. So in Genesis 17, 5 through 7, we see no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and your descendants after you. We see that something is happening, but too many of us read a cursory view of this and, and we just think, okay, well, he changed his name to Ab from Abram to Abraham. God became known as the God of Abraham and Abram took on one of the syllables of Elohim in his name. The ha or the Elohim was added 
added to Abram and he became Abraham. Abraham is Abram and Elohim or Ha added to the name which joins the two of them together. How powerful then is the name Abraham, the man who is in covenant with God. In step six, all future generations are covered in the covenant. So the covenant that you enter not only impacts you, but it impacts all future generations. You see, the covenant did not stop because the New Testament began. Every generation gets the benefit as it continues in their lives. Genesis 17, 15 through 19 declares, and then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he says in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Abraham got his son and the blood covenant was the guarantee that God would perform the miracle and bring him a son to establish future generations and a biblical culture. The promise of God is with Isaac. The blood covenant is with Isaac. The covenant includes our future generations. Now step seven and eight kind of flow very closely together as uh, one becomes the platform for the other. You see every blood covenant ended with a celebratory meal. Step number eight included declaratory oaths or promises of the covenant. Genesis 26 through uh, uh, chapter 26, 28 through 31 says, but they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there be now an oath between us, between you and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. What an amazing scripture. Every covenant is seen ending with a covenant celebration and a promise. Today, the demonstration of that covenant meal is practiced 
in communion. Every communion should include the declaration of covenant promises. According to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, every time we partake of communion, we are declaring blood covenant just as in verses 23 through 25 state, for I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup when they had supped saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as ye do this, do it in remembrance of me. Think about what this scripture is declaring. Every time we take communion, we declare the fact that we have a blood covenant with God that we have access to the fullness of God and God has access to the fullness of us the eighth step was the promise comprising the new beginning we always seem to end it right there and it never seems to ever go any further the power of uh, the blood covenant is the power to put a demand on God for biblical justice and a new beginning which is what's needed in order for us to enjoy the full measure of the blessing, we must choose to live within the boundaries of the covenant. Deuteronomy 4, 37 through 40 essentially states this. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence with his mighty power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you, but not just you, your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. You see, biblical blood covenant has astounding blessings that are revealed in them. If you read Deuteronomy 28, 14, we find that America enjoyed this very thing through the 1960s. De Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 66 has verses which describe what has transpired since. The judgment for disobedience continues to manifest in even greater measure as culture departs from God's righteous standard. 
The generations of Americans served God and stayed within the boundaries of the very word that he proclaimed. Legal barriers were in place barring things like homosexuality. It proclaimed the willingness of Americans to stay within biblical boundaries and therefore receive the blessings of the covenant with God. The determination of judges to impose worldly standards by blessing same-sex marriage can do nothing but guarantee upon this nation the judgment of God and the destruction of the culture. What are the righteous to do? No people can keep their land and allow it to be filled with iniquity at the same time. Moses was faced with the wayward leaders who were determined to destroy him. He asked God to do what? A new thing. Something that had not been seen or done before. Moses stood on his covenant with God. The Bible declares then Moses was very angry and he says to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them nor have I hurt one of them. Moses also said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. Five have not done them of my, uh, own, uh, of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Then the Bible says this, it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them them with their whole household and all the men of Korah with all their goods you see Moses knew how to appeal to God for covenant justice and he got it praying for God to intervene is not a new thing let me remind you of the founding of this nation and the war that took place that America will become the nation that it is. George Washington, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to his house. We learned many things, but some things that they wanted you to see, they wouldn't let you photograph. You had to go there to experience it. If you read the history of George Washington, you'll find that George Washington continued the tradition of the pilgrims. Now, America's first president and esteemed founding father, according to historical fact, was a strong believer and a man of prayer. William J. Federer in America's God and Country quotes this, 
Henry Muhlenberg, one of the founders of the Lutheran Church in America, said, I heard a fine example today, namely that His Excellency General Washington rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each and every one to fear God, to put away the wickedness that has set in and become so general and to practice the Christian virtues. From all appearances, this gentleman does not belong to the so-called world and society, for he respects God's word, believes in the atonement through Christ, and bears himself in humility and gentleness. Therefore, the Lord God is also singularly, marvelously, preserved in him and has kept him from harm in the midst of countless perils and fatigues and uh, many things and hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel let me remind you America America exists because of God's covenant let me give you a history lesson today on August 20th, 1778, General Washington wrote to his friend Brigadier General Thomas Nelson in Virginia and he stated, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all of this, the course of the war, that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith and more wicked that has not gratitude to acknowledge his obligations but it will be time enough for me to turn preacher when my present appointment ceases. What a powerful statement. As Washington prayed, God moved dramatically through the weather to bring deliverance to his troops and to preserve them for the day of victory. You see, if you look at history, you'll find in a bold move on January 17, 1781, George Washington, Southern Army, uh, led by uh, General George Morgan, defeated the entire detachment of British Colonel Tarleton's troops at Cowpens. Now, Lord Cornwallis was infuriated, and he immediately began to pursue the American troops. He decided that he was going to wait the night at the uh, Catawaba River where the American troops had crossed just two hours earlier. But to his distress, history tells us a storm began during the night causing the river to be uncrossable for days. On February 3rd, Lord Cornwallis nearly overtook the American troops again at the Yadkin River, watching the American troops getting out on the other side. But before they could cross, a sudden flood ran the river over its banks, which prevented the British from crossing. On February 13th, only a few hours ahead of the British, the American troops crossed the Dan River into Virginia. And when the British arrived again, the river had risen, stopping the British from pursuing. The British commander-in-chief, Henry Clinton, wrote explaining the incident. 
Here the royal was again stopped by a sunrise of the waters which had only just fallen almost miraculously to let the enemy over. Who could not else have eluded Lord Cornwallis's grasp? So close was he upon their rear. The enemy was right there at the rear of the American troops. Yet every time it seemed that he would overtake them, God moved in and protected. Nine months later, on October 19, 1781, Lord Cornwallis surrenders at Yorktown. General, General Washington calls for a service to give thanksgiving to God. Our country was founded by men who knew how to pray. They put a demand on God for covenant justice. God heard and answered their prayer. Should we now forfeit what their blood brought and bought and paid for? General George Washington's generation prayed and God answered to start a nation. As I was preparing this sermon, I heard the Lord say, if I answered the founding father's prayers to birth a nation, will I not answer your generation's prayers to save the very nation that I birthed? When we pray justice prayers, God answers to preserve our nation. Today's Lord Cornwallis fast upon our rear or our arrogant judges and our godless politicians whose Yorktown is just a judicial prayer away. We must declare it and save this nation. We have a choice in how we pray for the men and women uh, intent on forcing perversions on our nation, whether nationally or locally. Supreme Court justices who support abortion and the homosexual agenda deserve their own encounter with Jesus, the judge. And if we as believers continue to pray for them, then we simply enable them to stay in position and continue to bring destruction and judgment in our land. But if we pray against them, and ask God to have mercy on the nation and remove every perpetrator, then we stand in a good chance of stopping the judgment of the Lord in the land and moving the hand of God upon the perpetrators themselves rather than the nation. God is a God of justice, but his justice is by covenant. The same covenant justice that destroys our enemies can save through intercession the land that we possessed as a harvest. Deuteronomy the ninth chapter the 25th through the 29th verse gives us this very example. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness whom you have brought out, brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. It's time for the church to begin to pray against those who are tearing this nation apart. Moses interceded for the people and stayed the hand of justice in order to keep and gain the full measure of the harvest God promised him, which was bringing the nation to their inheritance. And if you read scripture, you'll find that every one who stood against him perished in judgment. Throughout scripture, we find examples of covenant justice being executed by God through and because of the appeal of believers who were in conflict. The time has come, people of God, for the church to renew their understanding of the blood covenant that has not been done away with, but that is in existence between us and God and to draw on the author of all justice who is ready to intervene in our behalf. Perhaps the greatest days of the church are still ahead of us, especially if we rise upon the wings of the wind and partner with God and restore justice in the land. In 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3, God tells Saul the following. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over this people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Know what God told Saul to do. Seeing this, reading this, understanding it, it's pretty radical because in effect, he said, kill them all. Let not one escape, not even their possessions. Kill it all, destroy it all. And the first thing we ask is why? What did they do that merited the utter annihilation of their society? Well, the answer comes in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19, and it has a bearing in how we conduct, to, how we uh, work the work of God today. In Deuteronomy 25, we are told what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, 
all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God is giving you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven you shall not forget in my prayers I'm praying for Israel to blot out the remembrance of Hamas it seems that when it comes to covenant people God has a standard and that standard is justice and because Amalek waited until the end of the day and attacked Israel where the women and the children and all the old elderly were congregating, God declared, I will utterly destroy you from under heaven. And if we apply biblical covenantal justice today, and as we consider that the spirit of Amalek is alive and well and expressed in Hamas through radical Islamic beliefs because they attack the innocent continually and consistently. We can protect and project how God feels about and what covenant vengeance will therefore look like because of what they've done. It is the very thing that took place on October 7th, 2023 by a radical Islamist terrorist group called Hamas. Covenant justice is the utter annihilation of radical Islam in the earth and any nation that supports or aids them should be destroyed. Failure to take the posture is to surrender to the doctrine of demons. The stated goal of some Middle East leaders is to utterly annihilate Israel, the people of God. There is only one prayer stance that a true believer can take and that is to demand covenant justice on such leaders. To pray against even our own leaders who would be a roadblock to the uh, possession of uh, allied resource to our allied uh, friends, the Jews. There is only one biblical response that the same angel that visited Sennacherib's army visit them. For those who question whether the New Testament God of love still releases judgment according to the Old Testament principle, you can find your answer in the book of Revelations, the 16th chapter, the 4th through the 6th verse, where the word of God prominently declares, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood and I heard the angel of the water saying you are righteous own Lord for one who is and one who was and one who is to be because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due as the author of all justice, God progressively reveals himself in scripture. He is creator, covenant keeper to a thousand generations. He is the author and the finisher of justice. 
And as the creator of the heavens and the earth, he reserves all right and justice to himself, clearly outlining the actions that fill the creation with iniquity, demanding just a uh, judgment. In Genesis, Genesis 9 and 1, one uh, verses 1 through 9, we read, So God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Verse 6 is a strong statement of justice based upon the fact that we were created in the image of God. And because we were created in the image of God, justice is demanded for every person that shed innocent blood. Imagine what the accrual of 50 million abortions brings upon a nation. Slaughtered babies are demanding justice. They're screaming out for justice for their lives which were taken innocently as we look at the God of justice and apply the very elementary principle that's revealed in scripture, the conclusion is therefore staggering. If you read the Bible, you'll find according to Genesis, the ninth chapter, for those 50 million innocent babies that have been murdered, 50 million adults must die in payment. Are we ready for Genesis 9 justice? as prophesied in Revelation, scholars have always recognized whether Old Testament or New Testament prophecy has a propensity for both a per, uh, preterist and futurist fulfillment. In Revelation 6 and 8, Jesus judges and destroys one-fourth of the earth's population. While in Revelation chapter 9, it is one-third for a total of seven-twelfths of the human population. Are we prepared to represent Jesus the judge, the Jesus of Revelation as judge of all the earth kills more than he has saved? Are you ready 
for the justice that is demanded by the blood covenant that we have with God. For let it be to us as it is to the heifers and to the uh, animals that have been slaughtered, but even worse. I stand this day and call upon covenantal justice with God and ask him, remove those in, in authority that have stood in the way of the progress of the church who have established unrighteous law. Remove them, open the earth and swallow them up for you are the same God that executes justice against the unjust. Let this day be no different. Bless us and keep us, Holy Father. You are our God, our God and our King. Have mercy on your inheritance. Father Lord, remove the pause and execute the annihilation of the enemies of Israel. That your name would be praised that your people would see it was your hand working for them. Father, in the name of Jesus, my Savior, have mercy upon us, this nation, America, and remove every authority that is established iniquity as righteousness and restore this land to a place of love and peace. Father, let your name be branded upon this land for we are your inheritance. We thank you, Father, for your grace. But we do not deny the fulfillment of your justice. Have your way as only you can. This I declare in the name of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Church, wake up. Wake up. It's time for you to turn down your plate, to get on your knees before God, to pray against those who are praying against you. Know that I love you. And I'm praying for you that the mercy of God would be manifest in your life, that your understanding would be opened, your sight revealed, your hearing restored, that you might carry forth the things of our God. Have a blessed and prosperous Sunday. God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.